Hello and welcome to You Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and pivoting to digital for the whole TRU community. I'm your host, Brenna Clark Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends at Learning Technology and Innovation, housed over in open learning, but supporting the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tecumseh Swetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmukulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And today's episode is about surprises. Mostly about bad surprises and how we navigate them with grace. So let's get into it. My friends, it is Thursday as I record this episode, and the semester started yesterday on Wednesday, which is also the day you may know of as when Big Blue Button died. That was a surprise, and a difficult surprise uh, for us and for our whole team. Um, I don't want to downplay the frustration and the disruption that this caused for all of you, trying to teach, having a plan, and having the plan go so pear-shaped, so fast. It's incredibly stressful. I get that. For us, I think the frustration, well, it's twofold. Number one, we don't have full control over these tools. We share them with other resources, other institutions. Big Blue Button isn't housed right here in Kamloops. It's not like anybody can go and just kind of like (laughs) ask it what's wrong. (laughs) It's stressful and frustrating to have a tool fail and not be able to fix it or not be able to fix it immediately. The flip side, though, or the second part of the frustration, and I'm feeling it really strongly personally, is that we worked so hard. (laughs) We worked so hard all summer to build a suite of resources to help you folks feel comfortable teaching online, to get you in the space where you felt like you had a plan and a plan you could execute well. We worked so hard to teach you so much in such a short period of time about digital pedagogy and online best practices, and you all worked so hard to learn it. So when the systems failed us on day one, I was heartbroken. It's so hard to navigate a surprise that is really a disappointment, kind of a wild one, with any sense of grace at all. I've been thinking a lot about surprise lately, even before yesterday happened. I hope that doesn't mean I willed it into being. But I've been thinking about surprise when it comes to classroom materials right now. And I think the reason I'm thinking about it is because I'm thinking about the way our classroom materials are meeting students in the most intimate spaces in their lives for the first time, you know? I mean, obviously students always do some work at home. They do their readings at home. They prepare their assignments at home. But right now, for the first time, you're in their home. You're in their bedroom or their study or their living room, and you're helping them work through material. And maybe that material is really difficult. I'm thinking about surprise and how surprise is experienced by students who live in difficult situations. You know, 
I've talked before about the fact that I was a literature prof in my past life, and I taught a lot of difficult and complex material. I taught Canadian literature for nine years. A lot of creepy stuff happens in Camlet. I don't know if you're familiar. A lot of creepy stuff. But I also taught courses that were explicitly about race and identity and sexuality. I taught books like Angels in America. You know, I taught books like I Have AIDS by Sky Gilbert. Pretty intense books about topics that a lot of folks really struggle with. And I loved teaching that material to students. I loved teaching that material to students in particular who hadn't thought about those issues in those particular ways before. But because I taught that kind of content, I was also really aware of the experiences of students who, for example, couldn't take their books home. They weren't comfortable doing their readings for class where their parents could see. So they had friends hang on to their books for them. Uh, and then they did all their readings at school or in the library. Um, perhaps they didn't buy the book at all because they knew they couldn't take it home. And so they would get hold copies out uh, and furtively read it in two-hour chunks in the library. I'm thinking about those students right now because I think about all the spaces they were able to find for themselves to do their learning and keep themselves safe. And I'm worried. I'm worried about those students right now. You know, the idea of a trigger warning is super controversial, and I'll link to some essays and some thoughts on trigger warnings and academic freedom and all of those kinds of ideas that get wrapped up with one another. But I'm wondering if in this moment, we might think of them less as trigger warnings or, or less as political ideas and more as a tool to head off surprise. I wonder if in this moment, we owe our students a heads up about the material that's yet to come. And we owe them a sense that we're thinking about how that might be more complicated for some of them than others. I don't think for these students, or at least it's never been my experience that for these students, it's about not wanting to learn the material or not wanting to be exposed to the ideas but more about the kind of home life they come from and whether or not they feel they have the space and safety to explore these ideas. And I'm thinking about being inside that student's home through the computer and lecturing or talking about these concepts and that student being surprised by that content. And I'm wondering what the consequences might be for that student. These are the kind of thoughts that keep me up at night. Um, and I wonder if the way we approach it in this particular moment is to think about our classroom spaces less as our private classroom spaces where we can build the wall safely so complex work can happen, and more like we're being transported into other spaces that realistically may or may not be safe for students and to tread carefully when we're there. It doesn't mean there's anything I want you to not teach. Of course not. I think that the students who are most caught by this particular problem are also the best served by having complex and sometimes difficult or scary discussions. But I think we need to think about how we prep them for it right now.
And we need to think about how our classroom space is not just our classroom space anymore. When I was particularly stressed out the other day, my brother said to me that I had to remember that I wasn't working from home anymore. I was living at work. And the hours that I work, in spite of that episode about rest, really underscore that for me. But just the same way, we're not teaching from home. We're teaching in our students' homes, and they're living with our teaching. And how we set them up for that so that they can do it successfully, whether it's just to wait till folks are out before they start that video lecture or make sure they're using their headphones when we start to talk or just to make sure they have a private space for learning where that's possible. I think that's really important. We all know, thanks to Wednesday's outage, that um, bad surprises suck. (laughs) And oh boy, do they ever throw us off our game, hey? That's the part where I feel most empathetic to all of you, where my heart goes out to you so much. I know that feeling. You think you're ready to go and you think class is on and everything's good and then the tech fails you and you feel foolish maybe I certainly do you feel like you can't deliver the experience to your students that you had hoped to and you feel negative it's hard to move forward from that I think we need to think about what those bad surprises might be doing for our students too and look for ways to plan around them You know, there's all kinds of conversations going on about where students are learning and what the political environments might be. And we talk about things like firewalls and freedom of speech and academic freedom and restrictions. And those are all really important, lofty conversations. I would never try to silence any of them. But the end user in that debate is an individual human being who's trying to move through course material and trying to stay safe. And I think that maybe our number one focus needs to always be on facilitating that to the best of our ability. Okay, um, today I'm really pleased to be chatting with John Fulton, not just because suddenly video is the number one topic of conversation around here, (laughs) but because he's an all-around great guy. Here's our chat. John, can you introduce yourself and your title to the listeners and then let them know where they might have interacted with you on campus? Sure. Um, My name is John Fulton. I work as a video producer in open learning. Um, My job is to create uh, and facilitate learning objects that are based out of video uh, to help with uh, learning for the students. Uh, So I work with instructional designers and course developers uh, at TRU, mostly I work with the online faculty, uh, but there are uh, instances where I'm around campus quite a bit, um, helping with convocation, doing live streams of convocation, uh, or going into classrooms um, to do mini workshops for some profs. And I also do, um, what else did I used to do on campus pre-COVID? 
when I used <laughs> to be able to just wander. Yeah, when I used to be able to just wander around. Well, that's a good point, actually, John, because yeah. I feel like it should be acknowledged that since COVID, you now have basically two jobs because yes. you're still doing all of your video production work from OL. But on the campus support side, we really rely on you for help with uh, faculty video. So Kaltura and Big Blue Button, you tend to handle the lion's share of support tickets about those two items as well. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, since the since March, I've been diving in. Uh, we kind of quickly grabbed the ball with Kaltura. We were going to have a much you know, more robust, slow rollout. But because of COVID, we had to just turn it on and go. <laughs> And, My plans uh, for that yeah. great rollout where everyone knew oh. how it worked and what to do. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah. There's still, I think there's still a ticket that N Nicole has about in JIRA, our, our content management, about, um, <laughs> yeah, like designing the rollout. Yeah. <laughs> she was going to make all our promotional materials yeah. for that, yeah. so, that thing. That totally now everybody happened. knows it. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I've been trying to, yeah, like had to jump in and learn that as much as possible to try to help the load on everybody. Yeah, we couldn't have gotten through the pivot or now without you. Um, that's for sure. And I think I should. I would be remiss if I didn't mention. You know, Brian calls you the King of Kensington, like Kamloops edition. People, <laughs> people will also know you from many of your projects within Kamloops, right? Film Society, Brew Loops. You're super involved with a bunch of different things in town. Yeah, um, I've always yeah I've been volunteering and been on some boards. Uh, for years and years now. Uh, so the longest running of definitely has been the film society, uh, been on, you know, the board for that. Oh, I think it was coming up like 11 or 12 years now. Uh, and that's been an amazing, uh, it's, it's an amazing group of people. And, and, you know, it's been really great to, to be able to bring films to Kamloops that normally wouldn't get screened here is, is mm -hmm. kind of our motive. Um, with, although of course with COVID it, that completely changed, we were in this amazing situation with the film society where we got the opportunity to actually run the theater. Um, the the local uh, business developers Kelson Group bought the Paramount Building when uh, Landmark decided they weren't going to have a theater anymore in Kamloops and just leave it up to Cineplex, and so we were able to jump in and continue screening films out of the building and keep the theater running. But with COVID, of course, we've been shut down. So it's been, <laughs> it's been mm. interesting. I think of you as sort of my primary welcome into Kamloops because before I knew anybody in town, I would always, always see you at Saturday mornings because yeah. we used to in pre-COVID times, yeah. <laughs> take our little guy and go to the library and to Amplify for coffee every Saturday morning. Yeah. And we'd always see you. And it was just really nice. You were the first person who made me feel like I kind of lived here and like knew people and had connections. Oh, that's nice. That's good. Yeah. yeah. No, I definitely miss seeing you guys in person for sure. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we see each other every day on yeah. Big Blue Button. <laughs> but it's much different. Um, speaking of which, a, John. Yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say, speaking of uh, seeing you on Big Blue Button, I'm um, the theme of today's episode is surprises. Mm. And uh, we're you and I are recording this on Thursday of the first week back in classes. So <laughs> we are on day two of the <laughs> Big Blue Button outage. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about how we do support and how we help people through these kinds of difficult surprises, which is what so much support work is. Um, I'm just thinking as, as we navigate what's been probably the hardest week 
in a long time for all sorts of reasons at work. Um, I wonder what advice you might offer to folks who really want to have like, you know, they want to be present in their classes. They want to have engaging like experiences with their students. They like the idea of using video and they're kind of nervous now about relying on like a live tool like Big Blue Button because it's it's not been super reliable for us this week. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's such an interesting technological challenge that we've had to deal with because, I mean, it's not just us, right? It's not just your <laughs> use system. It's every university. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have colleagues at UVic and, and SFU and, you know, everyone's reporting the same thing. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, Zoom has been down and all that. Um, and if you look at the stats, like our, the, the system itself is handling it. It just, there's like a kind of like a, log jam as, mm-hmm. because everyone's trying to do it together synchronously mm-hmm. and you know like we've talked in the past about trying to create a different paradigm of a classroom online and not have everything synchronously mm-hmm. uh, for multiple reasons one is this technology reason right so having pre-recorded uh, welcoming videos and small pre-recorded lectures that the students can access when they're able to uh, I think is just really key and then I don't know if you want me to talk about the engagement side of that as well, yeah, because I love that. Yeah. Cause I mean, definitely, you know, these students are going to, you're, you know, used to coming into a classroom and, and, and interacting with a, a teacher and learning from the teacher directly. And now they're sitting at home with mostly text mm-hmm. uh, on a screen. And I think having the, your presence, if you're the teacher and instructor for that course, your personality should come through like, in those videos, um, I really encourage people just to, you know, just relax, mm-hmm. just be yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, this isn't Hollywood produced stuff. Like you need to engage with them. So just be yourself because that's what you would do in the classroom. Right. So just kind of keep that, that relaxed, more casual um, interaction online, I think works really well. Yeah, I think so too. I think if you can try to treat making an a video in your office or at home, if you can try to make that feel, you know, more like your demeanor in office hours with students, right? So not feeling like you're kind of performing for a lecture hall, not feeling like you have to be scripted, just kind of having a, a set of points you want to get to and and delivering it the way you would deliver to one student sitting in your office. I think that's much more the kind of... Um, the kind of vibe you want to bring across mm-hmm. in video, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's actually what I was going to say next was um, the tendency might be to like, say, if you are doing your lecture and you're recording it is to, you know, talk about you guys and, or you girls mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and do like, as if you were talking to the entire classroom, but I think it's, it's better if you try to focus and think in your head that you're just talking to one student. Mm-hmm. right and then your delivery will be different it'll be a little bit more engaging when they're watching it they'll feel more connected if because mm-hmm. they're feel like they're talking directly to you and with you as opposed to just another person in the classroom um, so I think that that helps with the video aspect of, is having that if, if if when you're preparing what you're going to say and how you're talking about it think in your head that you're just talking to one student like you said I think sometimes there's a resistance to create the recorded videos as opposed to doing it live because like recording feels like a performance, whereas live teaching, even though it literally is a performance, I don't think we think of it that way sometimes. Yeah. 
And I'm wondering, John, you've got a ton of experience working with faculty with all different comfort levels with being on video and recording themselves. Yeah. Um, what do you, I don't, I did this to Jamie in the last interview. I was like, tell me one thing. So I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> that's hard. I've, I've been told. Um, but what do you think are some things that folks should remember just in terms of making themselves comfortable in front of the camera? I guess like how do you make faculty mm. comfortable in front of the camera when they're not? Oh, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, one aspect of my job is I do one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews um, with instructors and where they're telling, you know, doing some kind of lecture. Um, and in those situations, when, it, when we're kind of getting ready to do the recording, there's a lot of performance anxiety, you know, they're like, and I hate it. I never want to be in front of the camera. I'm happy to be behind the camera because <laughs> sometimes, you know, you get in front of the camera and you just, your brain shuts down. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. to kind of get around that, I'm always like, well, you're, I always tell the, the person I'm recording, which in this case would be yourself. You'd tell yourself, you know, you're in control of it right now. Right. Like mm -hmm. it's, it, if you make a mistake, it's okay mm -hmm. for two reasons. One, it's like, it's kind of an engagement level. You can actually, you know, the students will be like, oh, they made a slight mistake and whatever. They're, they're more human. Uh, but the other aspect is like, you can edit that out later. You can yeah. redo it, right? It's not, that's not, it's not as immediate and, and not going to be like, you know, like you can cover up those edit, those mistakes later. So just yeah. relax and just kind of, so I always say, yeah, you're in charge. You know, if you feel like you misspoke, if you feel like you kind of went down the wrong rabbit hole and you're thinking while you were trying to discuss something, just stop. Mm -hmm. um, regather your thoughts and then start again from that point and then just clip out the stuff that, that was a mistake, right? Don't worry about trying to be so perfect in one giant thing. I hear sometimes from instructors that are been trying to do stuff on their own, that they do spend time trying to make the one perfect take mm. and they do like a five to 10 minute piece over and over again. It's like, no, no, if you make a little mistake, you know, you just acknowledge it in the video too. Mm -hmm. You don't even need to edit it out necessarily. Um, you know, if you said the wrong word, say, oh, no, sorry. This is what I actually mean. For two things, because like that'll actually, if students watching that and they hear that, it kind of is more of a prompt to be like, whoa, wait, what did I miss? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? Like the, yeah. it's a kind of like an engagement thing there where you're like, oh, wait, did, what, did I hear <laughs> that wrong? So I think that's good that way too, right? It kind of, kind of awakens the, the attention. I saw someone on Twitter last week who was using the same Kaltura quiz functionality that we have. Um, and, you know, I'll link to our workshop on the Kaltura quiz with this with the show notes so <laughs> folks could check it out. But it was really cool. She did her sort of six to seven minute lecture in one shot. Mm -hmm. And then she went through and she used the Kaltura quiz button to, to function to be like, uh, you know, Professor Jones misspoke here. What should she have said? And then oh. like had a multiple choice question where students could answer it. Oh, that's excellent. That's Isn't that really cool? Good. Yeah, that's really nice. I and like you know, I think modeling that humanity is really important for students too, mm. especially if you're going to be asking them to present to class. Definitely. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's okay to make mistakes. Like we're all new at this. Um, we make mistakes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of like maybe a little few more technical things, it's just, yeah. you know, making sure that you're kind of comfortable with the technology, mm -hmm. you know how to start the recording, you know how to stop it, you know where it's going to go, you know how to, you know, edit the metadata around it, you know, in terms of the title and, and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, 
that's one thing I've, I've noticed on Kaltura. We have like over 6,000 videos and so many of them are just named Kaltura recording. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, you should probably name it something so you recognize what it is. Yeah. Um, but is uh, one thing that would be really nice is try doing your recording standing up. Oh, instead nice. Of, instead of just energy. sitting down. For energy, for flow, it helps your diaphragm a little bit. Um, when I, we do voiceovers, we always, I always get people to stand up. Uh, and then it kind of mimics more your the lecture style that you would more used to when you're walking in front of a classroom. Right. Oh, interesting. But when you are setting up, make sure that, you know, uh, so whatever recording device you're using, if you have a microphone, don't start walking away from it, right? <laughs> if you are standing up, because yeah. then, you know, your voice will start drifting away and then it'll mm -hmm. come back. Um, so if you have a headset, that's perfect, right? You can yeah. move your head around more comfortable. You get that kind of body engagement. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, standing up, it definitely helps for, for multiple reasons, but, uh, then you just got to make sure that your, your, uh, recording environment is set up nicely, right. In terms mm -hmm. of, you know, you got good lighting and stuff. Um, make sure you're not going to be interrupted, turn off your phones, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I used to, yeah, I used to have this spiel. I don't know, it doesn't really apply directly to when you're doing your own thing, but it's, it's like somebody would come in, I would chat with them for a few minutes, put the microphone on them. And while I'm chatting with them, I'm actually checking the recording levels and mm -hmm. figuring out. So I'll ask them multiple questions, you know, like, what did you have for breakfast? How did you get here? And just watch what type of uh, speaker they are because mm -hmm. they're relaxed. And then they might, if they are, you know, if you're more of a hands talker, be aware of not putting your hands near the microphone and rubbing them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, don't, you know, bang on the table. A lot of people, you know, like even I've noticed is like currently in my setup, I have a headphones on right now and have an external microphone. If I, I can't hear myself. So I didn't realize that uh, the microphone was picking up the cabling noise of my, mm. right. Like if I move my head too much, the, Mm -hmm. cable of my microphone was actually making quite a bit of noise. Mm -hmm. So I noticed on listening back. So being aware of that, that kind of like room environment and, and what's going to be recorded. So like, make sure your windows are closed. If there's somebody mowing the lawn next door to you and tell your family not to come into the room mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But yeah. I agree with all that. Cause I think if you set yourself up, then you can feel a bit more relaxed in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but if your cat jumps into the shot, like that's just a value add. As far oh as yeah, I totally. <laughs> It's back to surprises, right? It's like it's a happy surprise. Yeah. yeah, I mean we've all seen we've all seen that what the newscasters that you know are doing their their things from home and their kid runs into the shot and and whatever. Yes. And it's like just handle it. Just don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Again, we come back to this idea we keep talking about about modeling grace, modeling comfort. Mm -hmm. um, I also think I want to go back to what you said about you know using a tool you feel comfortable with or getting yourself comfortable with the tool. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that is like if you feel most comfortable on video when you're using like your iPhone camera and you're outside on your back deck or you're going for a walk, like that's okay too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you definitely. can record those short videos. Um, we really strongly recommend that you record short lecture videos, like much mm -hmm. better to have little short blasts of video that students can watch at will than, than sort of hope somebody's going to sit through a three hour video. Like, yeah. I don't, I can't sit through a three hour movie. I'm not going to sit through a three hour <laughs> lecture. <laughs> Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you, normally you would you'd be in your classroom and you could get yeah. the, the vibe of, yeah. of the students and you would know when you're losing them if you're talking for 20 to 30 minutes well, and you would adjust, time. right? But And you wouldn't lecture straight out for three yeah. hours. You'd do yeah. little activities. You'd at least take a break in the middle, right? Yeah. All those things that you don't do. But I think if you can find something that does make you feel more like yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe you feel most like yourself when you're walking Peterson Creek and there's like a spot you can sit and record um, some conceptual video about like – I don't know, Derrida, like yeah. right on. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you can upload any of those videos up into the Kaltura system. And then it's, it's just as if you recorded it sitting at your desk using Kaltura. No, definitely. I yeah. don't formalize it too much where you're like, I have to sit at my desk and I have to do that. Yeah, no, no, just, mm-hmm. I, I like, I've seen some really good examples of people that just do that. Where they just grab their phone, wander around a little bit, mm-hmm. stop chat you know but then again you just have to be a little bit more aware of environmental noises airplanes cars and stuff like that but um the noise of your hand on the phone stuff like that but but for the most part i mean you know like audio what one thing it's kind of a technical thing is cleaner audio Mm -hmm. is more important than clean video yes students will watch crappy videos so if you're a little bit too shaky and it's off-framed whatever your lighting's bad but if they can't hear what you're saying because mm-hmm. the background noise um that engagement level that really is tiring on the brain mm-hmm. you know it it's distracting it's harder to focus and uh, if you're captioning yeah. that video later it's a nightmare oh yeah yeah it's good audio in equals good captions out right exactly yeah i wonder if you you know we're getting to the to the end of our interview here and i'm wondering if you could leave folks with some just practical advice in terms of kind of when to use video for engagement. You've, you've helped to build so many courses Mm -hmm. in your time with OL. I'm wondering about like sort of best applications for video or when you think video really can pop for a class versus when maybe it's just extra work or unnecessary noise. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, making the videos is a lot of work Mm -hmm. and especially it's a big, it's a new cognitive load on the instructor. I'm trying to figure out, how am I going to present this material? Um, one thing when like the very first meetings that we would have with developers uh, when they were going to develop a new open learning course, I'd always ask them, is there something in the course or in this material that you've known that the, the students aren't getting, mm-hmm. right? So for instance, we had, um, there's a visual arts course and it has, a lot, it has some amazing videos for it. But the instructor, um, which was awesome because the, the person that was the instructor was also the developer oh, cool. for that course. So, that, so he recognized that in the assignments that he was getting, the students always seemed to kind of miss this one particular concept about the color wheel or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we developed a very specific short piece just to address that. So mm-hmm. if you can find something, if you know, because... You know, you, you got you know your subject matter. You know what the students have been doing. Um, hopefully, it's not the very first time you've ever been teaching. Um, but if you can think of something that that the students just aren't getting, or a, a concept that's harder, it's always easier to show than talk about something like how do you tie a shoe, right? Like, yeah, how to tie yeah. knots is something you need to see on video. You can't yeah. you can't just read text about it, right? Um, but often on the flip side of that, it's like don't do a video, like three minute video that could be one sentence, 
Yes. Right? There's I'll, a lot of that going on. Yeah. I do I do talk <laughs> myself out of a lot of work sometimes because people will have great ideas about, you know, pre-COVID anyway. They'd be like, oh, we should do this little video about this and this. I'm like, okay, but if the student can understand it in one sentence, why mm-hmm. why spend all this time making them watch it? Right. Well, and that's a really important point. It's just like there is you know, Jesse Stommel has this wonderful piece out right now, uh, I think with Sarah Goldrick Rabb, and it's called like, teach the students we have, not the students we wish we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But one of the one of the aspects of that is students, there's a very rare student who's going to sit through and watch, let's say you do record three hours of content every week for 14 weeks. That's an extremely rare student, someone mm-hmm. deeply committed to the discipline, probably looking towards grad school, even then, you know, maybe yeah. not. And so rather than putting yourself through that to do all that labor, to have it not be utilized, you're much better to be sort of precision oriented, like do this reading and then here's a two minute video where I recap the things that I think are most important in it, right? Like that's a way better use of time than sort of a three hour like dissection of that reading itself um, that a student's never actually going to watch. And I think it's so easy to get overloaded when you're teaching online to think you have to do everything and to think video is the be all and end all. Like mm-hmm. you and I have been talking a lot with people about how like podcasts are a really great solution for yeah. a lot of content delivery. No, exactly. And I was going to say, yeah, like if, if you don't have anything that you're really, really showing, why have a video, right? Like mm-hmm. the videos should be something that's demonstrative or mm-hmm. um, experiential uh, or, you know, like not just, you're talking head lecturing, which is the talking head lecturing stuff is amazing for engagement, right? It's for Mm -hmm. like when you want that to build that connection with your student so that they see you and they understand who you are and they get your personality. Because even then, after you have those intro videos, um, and this is what we were doing in open learning before COVID too, is make trying to get the instructors to record their own little intro videos. Mm -hmm. And, And then that kind of voice permeates through the rest of the course when they're, when they're reading your writing, they see and hear your voice now in their head, right? So, Yes, that's very true. And I think, you know, the power of something like a weekly video blog where you take two minutes to check in and see how things are going over the time investment on a super long video that students not actually going to work their way through, like just, just bang for your hourly buck. That's yeah. worth doing. Yeah, definitely. All right, John. Well, thanks yeah. so much for taking the time to chat today. Sure. Hope there was something in there for you. It was fantastic. And I think uh, now we both probably have to go back to f- trying to fix the big blue button. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, we can't, we can't do much to no. fix it. We just have to answer questions about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. We're, we are working so hard. Yeah. Anyway, I think what, that's going to be the theme of this episode. I swear to God, we're working so hard. <laughs> well, what did we see? It was 35,000 connections mm. in one yes. day. Yes. So yes. Yeah, so on Tuesday, when Big Blue Button went down, there were 35,000 unique attempts to connect to Big Blue Button. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. And it's a, it's across the sector, right? Yeah. So we just have to all muddle our way through and embrace some surprises. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for chatting, John. You bet. Talk soon. Anytime. So that is it for episode three of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me at bgray at tru.ca. And I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. 
All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.truebox.ca, and you can also comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip on coping with surprise. You know, I think the best thing we can do right now for our students is to model, well, grace. We've talked about that a lot, but also just model rolling with it. (laughs) You're going to have other bad surprises this semester. Not all of them will have been my fault. And I just want you to think about how you can model moving through a surprise for students. As we talked about today with John, I don't think you always need to edit out the bad bits. I think sometimes it's helpful to let students see our imperfections, to let each other see our imperfections. (laughs) I feel like I definitely show you mine. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.